This is episode number 224 of the Well-Fed Women podcast. You are now listening to Well-Fed Women, the show that's been radically changing the way women perceive health, fitness, and their bodies since 2015. I'm your host, Noelle Tarr. Submit your questions to wellfedwomen at gmail.com, and you can keep up with the show on Instagram at wellfedwomen. Hey there, and welcome back to the show. I am Noelle Tarr, your host. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner and a certified personal trainer, and I'm currently on the baby leave. And so today is another renewed episode. This is one of my favorite episodes, and it is one that I think is packed with the most information. It's with Dr. Isabella Wentz, and we are going to be talking about finding the root cause of hypothyroidism. Hashimoto's thyroiditis and thyroid issues. Now, after we recorded this episode, I actually had hired somebody to do the full transcripts for the podcast so that all of you didn't have to be frantically stopping your car, stopping the episode, trying to take notes. So everything is has been saved into a PDF transcript form. You can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com slash thyroid to download it. This, again, was way back in the day when our podcast was still called the Paleo Women Podcast, and so you'll probably hear a little bit about that, and you'll hear that wonderful outro music, but it is still all applicable to today. It's this, I, her books and the information that she provides is still so relevant for so many women because thyroid issues are very prevalent, underdiagnosed, and super confusing. And so I love that with Dr. Isabella Wentz, we just go back to basics and unpack things from what I would consider to be the the base. So we go over numbers and blood work and stats and, and a lot of really deep and good information too. So really excited for you to listen to the show. I think it's really important because if you don't have thyroid issues, you likely have somebody in your life who does like me. And you're going to get a lot from this episode, even about just how to manage chronic issues and stress. So let's get on to today's episode. So let's get right into it. There's nothing else more important than uh, from us. Let's put it that way, uh, besides who we're about to talk to. So um, I am so excited to introduce Dr. Isabella Wentz today on the podcast. I know that many of you have been anticipating this podcast because I posted about it on the Insta, and we got so many fabulous questions, and we have gotten a lot of questions sent to us um, at the paleowomenpodcast at gmail.com, that email address where everybody sends us questions. We've gotten so many questions about thyroid health, and while we've been able to answer a lot of them, there are a lot that go unanswered because of how complicated the thyroid can be and how individual uh, the root cause is for for people. So Dr. Isabel Wentz is a passionate, innovative, and solution-focused clinical pharmacist. She is trained in functional medicine, a fellow of the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, and holds certifications in medication therapy management, as well as advanced diabetes care. In 2013, she received the Excellence in Innovation Award from the Illinois Pharmacist Association. After being diagnosed with Hashimoto's in 2009, Dr. Wentz was surprised at the lack of knowledge about lifestyle interventions for Hashimoto's, 
hypothyroidism, and autoimmune conditions. She decided to take on lifestyle interventions as a personal mission in an effort to help herself and others with Hashimoto's. After two years of researching Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, she decided to combine emerging knowledge with her quality improvement expertise to run rapid tests of change on herself that led to her discover to discover the root cause of her condition. She has summarized three years of research and two years of testing in her New York Times best-selling book, Hashimoto's Thyroiditis Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause, which we have talked about quite a bit on here and referred to. Um, we'll also talk about a new book that's coming out, and you can also find all of her incredibly information-dense articles over on her website. That's thyroidpharmacist.com, which will be linked to in the show notes. Welcome, Dr. Wentz. Hey, ladies. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm really excited to be here with you. Yeah, we're excited to have you. <laughs> we are really excited to have you, not only because you're going to help so many of our community members, but also because we're going to learn, which is really exciting. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I get, we get, like I mentioned, we get so many questions about this, Dr. Wentz. We get so many questions about thyroid conditions. And it's really, really hard for us to be able to answer a lot of uh, the questions because either we don't have enough information or it's really, really complicated. Do you have any information about like how many women in general deal with thyroid issues? You know, thyroid issues are really, really common. And looking at the latest statistics and the latest research, we're looking at about 28% of our general population in the U.S. that's going to be affected with Hashimoto's or hypothyroidism. And we know that for every man affected, there's at least five to eight women that are affected. So this is predominantly a women's health issue, although, of course, women and children or men and children are also affected. But we're looking potentially one in five or one in three women at some point in their lives having thyroid disease. So it's very, very common. That's a lot. That's a lot yeah. of us. That's a lot yeah. of us. And unfortunately, the current diagnostic methods are not detecting thyroid disease in all but the really advanced cases. And even in the very early stages, so we know, for example, Hashimoto's has five stages. Most of us are getting diagnosed in, in stage four, but we're going to have symptoms at stage two and three. Um, so could you maybe tell us, I think your story is absolutely fascinating. We'll link to your story in the show notes too, but could you maybe tell us just a little bit about you, um, and your story, and then we'll just jump right into questions and, and get to the content. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I wasn't always interested in the thyroid. Um, I became a Hashimoto's expert slash human guinea pig <laughs> after I was diagnosed myself in 2009, as you mentioned from my bio. And really at the time I was, um, in my twenties. And so I was supposed to be really in my prime, yet I was struggling with carpal tunnel. I was struggling with acid reflux. I had irritable bowel syndrome. I had fatigue and not just like, you know, a little bit of fatigue. I was like sleeping for 12, 13 hours each night. I was losing my hair. I had panic attacks. Um, I had horrible, horrible brain fog. So during undergrad and grad school, I was always really sharp and could just remember things very quickly. But I found myself being at work. And just being really embarrassed because people would ask me questions and I would have such a hard time with word finding. And I would forget really simple words like cat or dog. I would, um, I would be in work meetings and I would be taking notes the entire time. And I would, at the conclusion of the, the meeting, I would completely forgot, forget what the meeting was about. Um, I would forget my keys everywhere. I would walk into rooms and just completely forget why I was there. 
it got so bad that I actually thought I was suffering from dementia and I started taking assessments on dementia. And, you know, I was still in my 20s and I was going from doctor to doctor and I was seeking answers and everybody kept telling me, you're normal, you're fine, you're not anemic, your thyroid function is normal. Maybe it's in your head. Maybe you need antidepressants. Um, one really funny thing I heard was, well, you're probably just getting older. And of course, I was like 25, 26 at the time, which is laughable now. But, you know, I just kept having more and more symptoms. And I ended up having weight gain and fatigue and cold intolerance. I lived in Southern California, but I slept with two blankets at night. And I was always the woman in my office wearing a sweater when everybody else was wearing short sleeves. And eventually I was, um, kind of got tired of it. And I was working as a patient advocate at the time, helping people with really complicated conditions, advocate, advocating for their health, um, when they couldn't speak up for themselves and working as a consulting pharmacist in that realm. And so at some point I learned that not all doctors were created equally. And I just decided I needed to seek out more answers and I ended up going to a doctor that was really known to do comprehensive testing and really look at the whole person, not just do the really basic testing. And I learned that I had um, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism. So my thyroid antibodies were in the 2000 range. Under 35 is considered normal. Above 100 is considered aggressive. So I had a pretty, pretty aggressive version of Hashimoto's. And I also had mild thyroid gland failure. So my thyroid gland was no longer able to keep up with production of thyroid hormones. At first I was like relieved because I was, I was grateful that there was going to be an answer for my problems. Maybe I would be able to start on medications and everything would get better. Unfortunately, um, I did start on medications and unfortunately not everything got better. And I also was concerned because Hashimoto's is progressive. So I talked about the five stages of Hashimoto's, um, stage four is when you start having um, or I should back up. Stage three is when you start having mild thyroid gland failure. At stage four, you start having severe thyroid gland failure. Stage five ends up being progression to other autoimmune diseases. So things like lupus or rheumatoid arthritis. Basically, the immune system is out of balance. And if you don't do anything to stop the progression, you're just going to potentially go on to develop other autoimmune conditions. And every five to 10 years, you might progress a stage. And I didn't think that was very empowering. I felt like, you know, medications can help with giving you the hormone that your body is no longer able to produce, but what's causing your body to attack the thyroid gland in the first place? Because that's what is the main cause of hypothyroidism in most countries, 90 to 97% of the time, it's due to Hashimoto's, which is an autoimmune attack on the thyroid gland. And I wanted to figure out if there was anything I can do to stop or slow down or reverse the progression of the condition. And so I really started diving deep into lifestyle changes. The very first thing I found out about was the gluten-free diet. It took me about a year and a half, maybe two years to actually implement it because I didn't believe in it. I thought this was kind of like, you know, voodoo stuff that there's no way that diet could ever help. And I'll tell you within three days of going gluten-free and dairy-free, I ended up being able to get off of six medications. So I was on three different acid reflux medications and three different pain medications because of my acid reflux and carpal tunnel. And I also had irritable bowel syndrome. And so all these things went away within um, three weeks, within three days to three weeks. And it was, it was amazing. And at that point I really got 
into lifestyle medicine, functional medicine, paleo diet. And I kept seeing progressive improvements the more interventions I did. Mm. It's, I mean, it, it just kind of hit me how incredible it is that, you know, between one in three and one in five women will deal with thyroid conditions, but most of them either don't get a diagnosis or get the wrong diagnosis. Like you said, most cases of hypothyroidism is actually Hashimoto's. Exactly. So they'll be told that their thyroid is sluggish. And they'll be told that their thyroid just needs a little bit of support. So you can just take some hormone. And, you know, maybe in some cases when we're 80 or 90, that may occur naturally where our just production of hormones slows down. But for majority of us, 97% of the time, I would argue, it's actually because our thyroid gland is not sluggish. It's working over time as it's being attacked by the immune system. And so that's a really, really important point because taking thyroid medications will not slow down the autoimmune attack. And once the immune system starts to attack the thyroid gland, we're going to see progressive damage to the thyroid. So you're going to have to constantly increase your thyroid medication dose to the point where eventually your thyroid gland will be fully destroyed. And at some cases, in many cases, the immune system will continue to attack different parts of the body. So that might be... Um, you know, that might be your joints and rheumatoid arthritis, you might have lupus, all kinds of different things can occur. And that that's just um, devastating to me that people are not told that the condition is um, that they can actually do something to stop the progression of the condition. And yes, I believe in medications and thyroid hormones can be very, very helpful. But yet people are not told that there's a specific kind of medication, a more natural version of thyroid hormones that's going to be helpful for addressing the symptoms where Synthroid was the number one prescribed medication in 2013 and 14 and in 15, it was, um, beat out by Vicodin. So now it's number two, but it's, it's one of those things that majority of people, even when they do get diagnosed correctly, they get placed on the synthetic thyroid medication that only helps a little bit. And then they still struggle with their weight. They still struggle with fatigue. They still struggle with brain fog and their hair keeps falling out. And so they never fully get back to their vibrant selves and they go on to have additional autoimmune conditions, but we can change that. That's awesome. And that's what I want to talk to you about further. Let me jump into questions because I could, we could go so many ways, but I think a lot of the questions that people have asked are really going to actually help to uh, help you explain a lot of the stuff and we'll be able to dive in a little bit deeper. This podcast is brought to you by the Nutritional Therapy Association, an organization that has been training and certifying nutritional therapy practitioners and nutritional therapy consultants in foundational holistic nutrition for over 15 years. Go to nutritionaltherapy.com to learn more about the programs which empower graduates with the education and skills they need to launch successful, fulfilling careers in holistic nutrition. I'm personally an NTP, and the nine-month program was instrumental in helping establish my own career in health and wellness. Go to nutritionaltherapy.com to learn more about each program and sign up for the classes which start in May or September of this year. If you do, be sure to put down Well-Fed Women as your referral, and you'll get a free copy of Coconuts and Kettlebells sent to you by me. That's nutritionaltherapy.com. So question number one is from Carol. 
My question is about having symptoms that seem like hypothyroidism, but tests are coming out quote-unquote normal. When the doctor moves on but can't find out what's wrong with you, is it worth retesting? And are there other tests to try? Thanks. That's such a great question. Um, And starting off with the symptoms of hypothyroidism, some of the biggest ones are going to be weight gain, fatigue, an inability to lose weight, brain fog, depression, anxiety, bowel problems, cold intolerance, hair loss, or losing the upper third part of the eyebrow. So some of the, those are some of the main ones, but people can have additional symptoms like they may be misdiagnosed with bipolar disorder, with panic attacks. They may have really severe bowel problems. They may have pain throughout their body. So the symptoms can be very nonspecific because thyroid hormones affect every single cell in the body. And so as far as diagnosis goes, there's a screening test for thyroid disease known as the TSH test. And this is generally the test that most doctors are going to do. I will say this test is excellent for very advanced cases of hypothyroidism. So if you've had it for many, many years and your thyroid is just completely not functioning, then perhaps the TSH test may be of value. However, in most cases, people are going to see that the TSH test is not super reliable for people with thyroid disease, especially with Hashimoto's, because um, you can have changes and alterations in thyroid gland function for about 10 to 15 years before the TSH actually gets affected. One of the first things that happens is basically our body starts to make antibodies to the thyroid gland. And that means that the thyroid gland becomes under attack by the immune system. So you can measure these antibodies in the blood. They're known as TPO antibodies and TG antibodies. Any elevation above 35 is considered indicative of Hashimoto's. Um, And we know that it's going to be about 10 to 15 years before you see a change in TSH that you'll see this elevation in antibodies. And really that's the prime time to start thinking about what you can do from a lifestyle perspective to prevent the progression as well as reverse your condition. Um, I should also mention that a lot of people will have symptoms just with the antibodies, even when their TSH is perfectly quote unquote normal. The the other part of the story is the TSH. So the functional range is somewhere between 0.5 and 2 of the TSH. And that's where most people feel their best. I would argue that most women of childbearing age should have TSH somewhere around one. What happens though in doctor's offices and on lab tests, sometimes that reference range can be overly lax. Um, So we might see a TSH as high as eight that may be considered normal or as high as four that may be considered normal. And just to give people some perspective, when my TSH was at a four, um, you know, my favorite hobby was taking a nap every day for like two hours. And I was just exhausted all the time. Keep in mind um, for the testing, I would say you want to do TSH testing, you want to do thyroid peroxidase antibody and thyroglobulin antibody as a very, very beginning part of your testing. TSH should be somewhere around one and your thyroid antibodies should be under 35. The other thing to keep in mind is, and this kind of gets a little bit more complicated, but not everybody has thyroid antibodies. So some people might have the attack on the thyroid gland, but they might not have the antibodies. So in that case, doing another test, like doing a thyroid ultrasound, that may reveal that you have an attack on your thyroid gland. But even in some cases, people might have a negative thyroid ultrasound and they still might have Hashimoto's when you do a more invasive test, when you take cells from the thyroid gland and you look at them under a microscope, because you'll be able to see under a microscope 
that the cell, there's a certain type of cell in the thyroid tissue, which you can't always see on an ultrasound. So it's a really, really common condition. And I would encourage people to work with more of an integrative or a functional medicine practitioner that's willing to kind of dig a little bit deeper and look at all of the different labs that are available out there. Yeah, I think that's really important because a lot of uh, women are are just going to their, you know, primary care for physicians getting referrals or getting uh, very basic labs done. Um, but it's really, really, really important to get a second opinion and to work with somebody like a functional medicine practitioner. We'll link to where you can find a practitioner in the show notes, but um, you know, finding a functional medicine practitioner will give you not only a different perspective. But um, it'll get, give you somebody else to put on your team. So we don't we don't ever advocate, you know, getting rid of conventional medicine or medication, uh, like you mentioned too, Doctor uh, Wentz. But when we talk about you know building a team around you to help you with your health condition, that may include a functional medicine pr- practitioner, a conventional, uh, you know, an MD, um, maybe an ND, and then maybe also some something like a therapist or uh, you know an acupuncturist. There's you know a team that you build around you so that you can get second and third opinions and try different things um, to help resolve conditions. Because rarely does it happen with just one person. If you found that one person. Don't let them go. But rarely does it happen with just one person. So I love that suggestion about building a healthcare team around you. And I think as the patient, you should be in charge of that team, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, Stephanie, anything to add? I think I heard you take a breath, but I didn't. <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I think and I think the functional medicine route is is important because it gives you access to more testing than you would otherwise, right? Otherwise be able to get. I know so many women and I've dealt with so many clients who literally cannot convince their normal health practitioners that they, that they should get testing done. It's like just even more than a T4 test, mm. right? Like some of my closest friends, they're sitting on a T4 test. That's like, well, it's okay. A little bit low, but fine. And that's literally all that they have to go off of. And their doctor's like, you're fine. Wow. Right. And they're like, no, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. I heard so, that for years. I was fine for years. And, and, you know, and I had changes consistent with Hashimoto's for, for many, many years. And of the symptoms probably for a decade before I was diagnosed. And because, you know, even when my TSH was at a four, I remember I had a doctor make, write me a little note saying, your thyroid is normal. And I still have this lab test that I'm like, no, it is not. So mm-hmm. like I was, you know, I was like a sloth back then. And I was losing all of my hair <laughs> and my brain. Oh, I love that you just said sloth. Uh, Dr. Wentz, you don't know this, but the sloth is sort of our spirit animal here, Uh, not because (laughs) we want to have thyroid issues, but because we want (laughs) to uh, be slower in life and not always so go, go, go and uh, crazy. So, yes, sloth, not in a good way. But when you can choose to be a sloth, uh, then it then it (laughs) works in your favor. (laughs) You know, it's kind of interesting that you say that because in a way and and you brought up getting a therapist and, and in a way, sometimes we know that stress can be a big trigger for chronic disease. And in a way, thyroid disease makes us slow down. So when we look at the root causes of thyroid disease, stress is a very, very big thing. And really looking at like, okay, what are the things that are contributing to my overall um, health dysfunction, stress, being stressed out, eating too quickly, doing too many things that can definitely put you at risk for chronic illness and autoimmunity. Yes. 
So yes to sloths. (laughs) (laughs) Yes to sloths. Hashtag. Um, Okay, question number two is from Allison. Hi, ladies. Love, love, love your podcast and look forward to it every week. I developed hypothyroidism out of the blue about a year ago. I tested negative for Hashimoto's. I've asked my doctor what could have caused it, and she doesn't have an answer. This is (laughs) for sounding like a broken record here. Uh, I'm still working on adjusting my meds to get into the normal range. Is there any way to definitely determine the underlying causes? Is there ever hope of getting off medications? And lastly, what is your take on the correlation between hypothyroidism and iron deficiency anemia? Uh, Dr. Wentz, we had a lot of questions like this relating to, can I heal? Does it ever end? Any tips for getting off of medications? Am I going to be on medications all my life? So I'd love for you to kind of uh, address that. Sure. So we'll address all of these questions. And so one of her questions is the underlying cause. And um, she talks about, she tested negative for Hashimoto's, which as we mentioned, is not always a definitive answer. So I don't know if she had thyroid antibodies, but in many cases, those can be negative. Doing a thyroid ultrasound can be more definitive, as well as doing um, a fine needle aspiration could be more definitive to help her figure out if she has Hashimoto's. But it's one of those things that's called a diagnosis. It's not a diagnosis um, that we can easily exclude. So really to be able to say that she does not have Hashimoto's, we'd have to take out her entire thyroid gland and look at it under a microscope and every single cell of it to say that she doesn't have it. So there's a really good chance that she does have Hashimoto's. And some of the underlying causes are going to be nutrient depletions, food sensitivities, um, impaired stress response, impaired ability to get rid of toxins, intestinal permeability, as well as chronic infections. So for some people, it could be just one thing. So a person may have um, a severe infection like Helicobacter pylori, And once you get rid of that infection, you can start seeing that the thyroid condition goes into remission. That can also cause iron deficiency anemia. The other root cause on its own may be just deficiencies in different nutrients. So we know that selenium, iron, and the B vitamins are very, very commonly deficient in Hashimoto's, as is vitamin D. So um, these are some of the root causes I would start thinking about. Another one is going to be gluten sensitivity or celiac disease. We know that that's going to put a person at risk for Hashimoto's as well as the iron deficiency anemia. Another thing that can cause Hashimoto's would be things like small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or um, intestinal parasites. I know those sound gross, but yes, people actually have them in the Western world. And those can also contribute to the iron deficiency anemia. So um, really looking at the person from a holistic perspective and what I like to do is kind of do a checklist of all of the different potential triggers and do testing along the ways. So testing for vitamin D, testing for ferritin, um, supplementing accordingly with that, and then testing for chronic infections, testing the stress response, testing for toxins, um, food sensitivities. I don't really test for those because that can be negative. So oftentimes I'll recommend an elimination diet where we get rid of at least gluten, dairy, and soy for three months and see if that helps. As far as if you can get off of medications, um, about 20% of people with Hashimoto's can get off of medications at some point just without doing anything. When we start looking at the functional medicine approach and we start thinking about root causes and resolving those root causes, that number goes up. 
Um, and then when we start thinking about doing advanced therapies, um, one of them is using cold lasers. So um, usually actually using a cold laser over the thyroid gland for, for about 10 different sessions over the course of five weeks has helped everybody that did this treatment. So this was a clinic in Brazil that, that did clinical trials on it within the last few years. Everybody was able to reduce their dosage of medication and about half of the people were able to actually get off of their thyroid medication completely. So this is something that can be done through usually um, chiropractors that specialize in laser therapy or perhaps some acupuncturists um, where you can um, do some of these advanced strategies in addition to the lifestyle. So you mentioned a checklist. <laughs> do you have this checklist um, available for people? Is this in your book? Is there some place that people can, can access that? Yeah, so I actually have it in the back of my book, and it's it's a checklist of the lab exams to, to look at. So I, I think about the dig-added approach. So we're looking at all of the different potential triggers like digestion, um, nutrient depletions, food intolerances, immune system imbalance, gut dysbiosis, infections. And, and we really look at the whole gamut of potential root causes, and that's, that is in the back of my book. Awesome. Because that was, there was a lot there. So having a checklist sounds really helpful. So that's great. So everybody um, go buy the book, in other words, to get that checklist because there, there was a lot of good information there. I did write down some nutrient deplete, uh, depleters and the things that you were saying. I'm sorry, nutrient depletions, the things that you said that people could tr potentially trigger um, Hashimoto's. Is it one of those things where it's like, is it a chicken or an egg thing? Like Hashimoto's can, it coincides with deficiencies in things like selenium and iron, or is a deficiency in selenium and iron actually causing the Hashimoto's? You know, you're absolutely right. It's definitely one of those um, chicken and egg things. So it's, it's almost like a self-perpetuating system. So we know, for example, that um, if you have small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, that's going to cause you to have intestinal permeability or leaky gut. And then you're going to become depleted in a lot of different nutrients. B12 is going to be one of the most common and iron is going to be another common one. And then we also know that when you have hypothyroidism, you're going to have a slowed down motility in your GI tract. And so that's going to potentially produce the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or make it worse. So it is one of those things, it's kind of like a vicious cycle and it keeps perpetuating itself. So we really need to think about doing interventions that can break the cycle apart. So treating the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, supporting a person's stomach acid, supporting their thyroid hormones. And, and you know, people often ask for like just one thing or one pill, but really there's no magic pill. It's a whole body approach. It didn't, we just, we didn't develop thyroid disease overnight and it's, it's going to be a whole systems approach to fix it. This podcast is supported by Thrive Market, a membership community that uses the power of direct buying to deliver the world's best healthy food and natural products to members at wholesale prices. Go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen to sign up and get 25% off your first order. When you sign up for a membership, you're also sponsoring a low-income family in need with a membership. Thrive Market is like Whole Foods, Amazon Prime, and Costco combined. You can shop for thousands of health food and natural products that are 10 to 50% below retail prices and have them delivered to your door fast and totally free with a low minimum purchase. You'll find just about everything you can find at natural grocery stores on Thrive Market, plus more. 
and all of the food products are categorized by diet and lifestyle, making it easy to find allergy-friendly foods and snacks for your family. Get the highest quality products you love, minus the retail markup, and help American families thrive. To sign up and get 25% off your first order, go to thrivemarket.com slash wellfedwomen. So question number three is from Olivia. How are the adrenals and the thyroid connected? And how can you have normal thyroid results but still experience symptoms of hypothyroidism and adrenal fatigue slash cortisol dysfunction? Thanks. Hi, Olivia. So the adrenals and the thyroid are intimate, are very much connected. And so we know that there's an intricate feedback loop mechanism between the adrenals and the thyroid gland. And we're, our body's always trying to stay alive and keep all of our hormones in homeostasis. So when we see that, um, you know, there's, for example, a dangerous situation. So our adrenals are our stress glands and they respond to stress within our environment. And when there's a lot of stress going on, there's, you know, a famine or, or there's, um, you know, the, a war going on, we know that resources are going to be uh, scarce. And so what the adrenals do is they, they'll send messages to the thyroid gland to let the thyroid gland know that this isn't the best time to reproduce. This isn't the best time to like burn food very quickly and that we need to slow things down a bit. And so we know that people who were, um, survivors of the Irish potato famine, a lot of them had Hashimoto's and they became hypothyroid. And that was because of the stress connection. And so what we see is that oftentimes the adrenals will slow down the thyroid gland. Um, so for example, if I have a person who is under a lot of stress and they may not even have Hashimoto's, but they're, they're going to have um, adrenal dysfunction, you'll start seeing that their thyroid function slows down. So they might have a slightly elevated TSH and they might start having some of those thyroid symptoms like brain fog and, um, an inability to lose weight. And this is very, very common. So really the key to this is going to be supporting the adrenals. And we do that with stress reduction. We do that with making sure we're getting plenty of rest, um, plenty of nutrients. Um, the adrenals, I like to think of the ABCs. So adrenal adaptogens like ashwagandha, B vitamins, and vitamin C. These are all things that are going to be supportive of the adrenals. And then looking for um, anything that could be causing inflammation in the body, such as blood sugar imbalances, food sensitivities, or even infections. And that's going to be a way to conquer those symptoms. Um, adrenals are really, really important to address even when your primary root cause is thyroid disease, because they play such an important role. So if you're having those symptoms, I would highly suggest that you work on addressing your adrenals. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to quickly mention too, and then I'm going to shoot it over to Steph because I'm sure she's going to have a, something to follow up. But anything that stresses, let's just like hone in on this real quick. Anything that overstresses your adrenals could potentially, and of course, not everybody is going to, it's not going to manifest this way for everybody, but could potentially then tell your, your thyroid to start down-regulating. It's going to send messages to your thyroid like, hey, it's not the best time to be burning calories and to be um, really going hard here. And that's why uh, you're going to see an impact on the thyroid when the adrenals are impacted, ne impacted negatively. And 
anything really, a lot of the things that we talk about on here especially, can negatively impact the thyroid if your body perceives that there is too much stress happening. So, for example, when you are over-exercising and then under-eating and not feeding your body with enough calories or um, not eating enough carbohydrate, for example, or maybe you're fasting or you're eating really low carb and you've done that for an extended period of time and you're continuing to push on and push on, um, you know, those kind of things can actually affect not only your adrenals, but also your thyroid. So, um, Steph, anything else to add there? <clears throat> well, yes. I mean, <laughs> yes, as in a statement of agreeing with you. And I could I could talk for a really long time about the effects of <laughs> stress on the body. It's interesting because it will get there a number of different ways, right? The way in which stress impacts your thyroid glands. If stress causes immune dysregulation, for example, that can cause gut disturbances, which will then cause a thyroid issue, right? Or the stress issue can impact your pituitary function, which in turn will impact your thyroid function because the pituitary gland communicates with the thyroid gland, right? It's all sort of very intimately connected. There's more than like one or two or 10 reasons <laughs> to care about stress in your life. And maybe as a final um, little point before we move on to <clears throat> listening to somebody more educated than I, I think that we often perceive of ourselves as more uh, relaxed than we actually are. Hmm. <laughs> and that isn't, I mean, I think a lot of people are more than happy to be like, I'm so busy. I'm so stressed out. I'm a warrior and I'm badass. And that's fine. I'm really excited for you. <laughs> but I think also I often encounter people who are like, well, I'm not like, I, I'm not really stressed out. I only work a 50 hour week. And like, you know, I only have two kids and I'm just like, no, uh, I think all of us, everybody, even those of us who try to be very slothful like me, I think our bodies perceive a lot more stress than we co consciously realize. So this is just me encouraging everybody to sit back and be very, very thoughtful and critical of um, of our personal practices and, and sort of really question yourself as to as to whether things are necessary and stuff like that, because it it does it does make a difference. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So question number four is from Patty. Steps to take to prevent hypothyroidism. All of the women in my family, including me, have Hashimoto's, and I don't want my daughter to have to deal with another autoimmune disease when she is older. She already has celiac. No, Patty, that's such a great question because we know that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So some of the thing, and I'm really glad that you're thinking about this and your daughter's super lucky to have you. Um, some of the things that I would recommend is making sure that she's on a nutrient dense diet. So I imagine you're already giving her a gluten-free diet, which is excellent. So that's going to be a really, really important step doing something like the paleo diet when she's getting a lot of nutrition, perhaps considering going grain free might also be an option for her. Um, we know that selenium can be a very, very important nutrient in Hashimoto's and selenium deficiency has been recognized as a risk factor. It's also one of the things that um, in people who have celiac disease, when they um, are not gluten-free, this is going to be one of the fastest things that becomes deficient. So that's why we know that people with celiac disease who are eating gluten are oftentimes going to be um, more likely to have Hashimoto's. Part of that is because of the selenium deficiency. So doing um, selenium, maybe 100 to 200 micrograms per day, I would you know check with her 
doctor or nutritionist based on her weight to see what dosage would be appropriate for her, that could be a preventative for her because um, the dosage in adults that's used for prevention is 200 micrograms. And that's been able, that's been helpful for preventing um, postpartum thyroiditis in women who were pregnant and at risk for thyroid disease. Iodine in moderation. So we know that iodine is a Goldilocks nutrient. And when we don't have enough of it, we can have thyroid problems. When we get too much of it, we can have thyroid problems. So it's one of those tricky things with Hashimoto's, especially where we're looking at the dosage ranges anywhere between 100 and maybe 350 micrograms is where we want to remain and keep steady. So anything that would be in like a multivitamin, and I recommend like high quality multivitamins like thorn or pure encapsulations, um, that dosage is generally going to be fine for most people. I would be concerned with doing like high dose Lugol's or iodine snacks or any sources of concentrated iodine that can actually cause Hashimoto's and be kind of an initiating trigger for some people. Um, vitamin D, making sure that her vitamin D levels are optimized. So somewhere keeping that between 60 and 80 seems to work best for prevention of Hashimoto's and hypothyroidism, making sure that she's getting um, B vitamins. So maybe doing a B vitamin supplement would be helpful because it's hard to get those from our diet. Magnesium supplement may be helpful as well. Stress reduction technique. So this is really, really important is figuring out at a young age, how do we build her resiliency? And we know that um, exercise, you know, to a certain degree can be a stress reducer at, at, you know, when it's extreme exercise, we know it's a stress inducer. Um, so that's going to be something that's going to be de determined by her individual tolerance. Um, doing something like yoga or meditation, starting to get her in, in that sort of a practice is going to be beneficial. Even um, just teaching her how to be mindful and take some time for herself, do some deep breathing so that she's not as likely to um, be affected by whatever stresses she has in life. Probiotics can be really, really helpful um, for preventing gut infections, which can cause imbalance and can predispose a person to autoimmune thyroid disease. So we know um, doing a daily probiotic can be helpful for that. Um, what I especially like is called sarcomyces boulardii. There's a kid's version called Floristor um, kits that can be taken on a daily basis, especially when you're doing any kind of foreign travel that's going to help prevent her from getting any kinds of infections that may be present in, you know, in foreign foods or water. Doing um, any kind of therapy to clear out toxins, such as sweating um, therapy or, you know, making sure giving her hot baths every now and then can be very, very helpful because we know that toxins can contribute to thyroid disease, uh, not giving her any amalgam fillings, not, um, having, not feeding her shark and tuna every day. So all of these different things, um, can be helpful because we start to lose tolerance of ourselves when our systems become overburdened. And a lot of times the burdens are coming from environmental toxins. So whatever you can do to kind of clean out your home and, you know, like stopping to use synthetic perfumes, like the, the Bath and Body Works lotions with all of the chemicals in them. So going more of an organic route with her personal care routine and the, and the stuff that you used in your home can really go a long ways for the health of your entire family. Those would be some of the things that I would suggest. And like I said, she's really lucky to have you as a mom. So you're thinking of all these things. Yeah, that was a lot. I will um, we'll link to the Flora Store Kids uh, probiotic in the show notes and... Um, 
This is going to be an episode that most of you are probably going to listen to two or three times because there's so much awesome information. I would recommend listening to it now. I know a lot of you are probably listening to it for the first time. Go back and listen to it again. So our last question, question number five is from Stephanie, another very popular topic. Could you share any info about postpartum thyroiditis? I've heard it described as experiencing hyperthyroidism for a few months after giving birth and then switching to hypothyroidism. Based on symptoms of both hyper and hypo, I think that's exactly what I've experienced this past year after giving birth to my daughter, and now I seem to be stuck in hypo. What effect can pregnancy slash the postpartum period have on your thyroid? If you experience something like this with your first pregnancy, how likely are you to have the same thing happen with future pregnancies? Thank you. This is such an important question because um, the, the peak times when women get diagnosed with thyroid disease are going to be in the pregnancy, puberty, and um premenopause time in their lives. And the, one of the theories is that hormonal shifts, especially um, hormonal shifts in estrogen can potentially contribute to changes in thyroid function. Um, to kind of not get overly technical and overly complicated, whenever we have estrogen, more estrogen, our requirement for thyroid hormone goes up. And sometimes that requirement can leave us nutrient depleted as can pregnancy, because, you know, we're, we're building another human being inside of us. And so a lot of times it may be this shift in hormones, as well as the nutrient depletion that produces the postpartum thyroiditis. And like you said, a lot of times what we see is people will have hyperthyroidism first when they have an overactive thyroid and women will say they feel more anxious. Um, some of them will say like, oh, wow, I just lost my pregnancy uh, weight very quickly. Um, unfortunately, some women have been diagnosed with postpartum psychosis when their um, hyperthyroidism is very severe because we know that can affect our emotions. Um, and then what happens is eventually after the initial hyperthyroid phase, we start going into hypo or an underactive thyroid. And that can be that can be misdiagnosed as postpartum depression. And we'll see women will have more weight gain. They'll have trouble with breastfeeding. They'll have hair loss, and just kind of a general apathy towards things. And a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, you're, you're a new mom. It's normal that you're tired and, and so on and so forth. But these are really, really important times in a woman's life to, um, to really be dialed in. So we do know that having one situation of postpartum thyroiditis can put us at greater risk for other um, repeats of postpartum thyroiditis. So some of the things we can do as a preventative um, making sure that we're really in a good place before we get pregnant again. So looking through all of the potential root causes, making sure you're on a really great nutrient-dense diet, supporting your stress response, getting rid of any toxins if you have any, um, addressing any infections. So getting yourself to a good place in the first place so that you're not going to be as vulnerable to the, to the shifts and the nutrient depletions. Making sure that throughout pregnancy you're getting um, selenium on board that's been helpful in preventing postpartum thyroiditis when you do take a selenium supplement throughout pregnancy. And another one, it's, you know, women, I, I'm sure the ladies on your podcast will be open to this, but some women, you know, would look at me like I have 16 eyes if I say this, but consider doing placental encapsulation postpartum. And that can be very, very helpful for addressing the nutrients that you lose during pregnancy, because we know when a woman gives birth, we're going to be losing a lot of iron, we're going to be losing a lot of these nutrients. And, and this 
requirement goes up as you're breastfeeding. So humans are the only mammals that are not eating. We're not, we're not eating our placentas and placentas are a nutrient dense source of nutrition for new moms. Yeah. So the placenta encapsulation thing, it's actually for people who uh, don't know where to, that would happen. You can actually, um, you can work with like your midwife to get that done. If you have like a, there's actually a lot of more conventional doctors working with the midwives now or some, something called a doula, which is sort of like a birthing assistant. A lot of doulas do uh, placenta encapsulation after the birth as well. So it's very, very accessible and it's not that expensive, um, in comparison to what it costs to give birth. But and in comparison to the health that it's going to be giving you, um, and you can get it encapsulated in a pill, and then you can just take it for um, the days thereafter. So very, very awesome advice. Um, so your book, Hashimoto's Thyroiditis, Lifestyle Interventions for Finding and Treating the Root Cause, we're going to link to that in the show notes. We don't usually promote books like this so heavily, but apparently it's really important to us. Um, and I think that it's really, really important for our community. I know so many of you are struggling and I think that uh, just reading this book is going to be so helpful. It'll really take this podcast and all the information that was given here uh, up to the next level. Dr. Wentz, what is up with your next book? I know you can't reveal a lot of stuff about it. There's not a lot out there, but I know that there's something coming soon. Yeah. So thanks for asking. I'm going to be coming out with a new book in March 2017. So it's going to be called Hashimoto's Protocol, and the focus of the book is going to be on really fundamental self-care strategies to help people get their health back within a short amount of time. So it's going to be talking about how to support the liver, how to support the adrenals, and how to support the gut. And they're going to be very, very specific protocols, so it's almost going to be like a done-for-you template. Um, a lot of my readers that love the root cause um, are the kind of women that love to dig for their own health. They love to be in charge of their own health and they love to be their own health detectives. And the root cause has all of that information in there to help them become an expert in their own condition. And I know that this is not realistic for everybody. So Hashimoto's protocol is more of like, if you, um, let's say if you just, you know, I'll give an example of, of me going to Pilates I don't necessarily want to become a Pilates expert, but I just want to look tone in my bikini. <laughs> so <laughs> it's going to be something that is going to break things down for you in a, in a very simplified fashion so that you will have like done for you protocols. So you won't have to figure things out on your own. It's going to work as a complement to Hashimoto's The Root Cause. I like the sound of done-for-you protocols. That sounds wonderful. So if you're listening to this after March of 2017, the book will be linked in the show notes. You can, I'm sure you can pre-order it um, maybe a month in advance, a couple months in advance. We'll, uh, so check Amazon for it and definitely go and purchase The Root Cause. Dr. Wentz, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for all the information you provided. We really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much, ladies. I love the work that you're doing. I'm a huge fan. Awesome. Good. All right. So that is it from us. Steph, anything else to add? No, I'm just so happy. Thank you. <laughs> Yay. Thank Yay you for both. being yeah. happy. Mm -hmm. um, hey, we love you. We would love for you to go and leave us a review if you love the show uh, and love us back. You can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com slash review for more from me, Noel. You can go to coconutsandkettlebells.com for more from Stephanie. 
Go to paleo We will talk to you next week. <laughs>